Hi, this is Mary H.K. Choi, and you're listening to Hey Cool Life, a micropod about mental health and creativity. This is episode 141, and it is February 22nd, 2022, somehow. Um, hi, I wanted to check in about just a few things that I'm finding really interesting, and um, as I'm getting back into work, I'm realizing just that it's <laughs> feelings brain and writing, making shit up brain is such a different brain. It's like a wild departure um, between like where, like where to send my thoughts, if that makes sense. And um, I'm still really adjusting. And the thing that I'm really noticing is that in an effort to get work brain back and even like the language around that is so specific it's like this thing that I've lost that I have to like retrieve you know I have um all this urgency and all this like narrative around around like making up for lost time and it's so interesting that I am treating bereavement and genuine sort of um, reeling from loss as if I took some kind of indulgent um, vacation. And so that's just something that I can really kind of smile at because it's it's almost like endearing. Um, I can experience compassion for that because I'm like, oh yeah, like you want to rush back to the way things were and that will erase what's happened and then your feelings will go away because God forbid um, I have to process each feeling individually when, um, you know, I'm still kind of in that baby phase of recovery even after like almost four years where for in my entire life because I had an eating disorder like the only feeling I could process was like hunger (laughs) I was like oh no I'm having a feeling that's not right um that is really unsafe and dangerous let us be hungry and then that that was so great because that was such a clear marching order where it's like you're hungry so you have to eat or um, the type of eating disorder I have that also presents as restriction and then like binge eating and purging it's like oh you're hungry great we know exactly what your next job is we're gonna not eat and that's gonna require a certain amount of self-loathing and concentration and rearranging your day um, so you can isolate and focus on that one thing of not eating Um, Or you can isolate and focus on the thing of eating as much as possible so you can like numb out and obliterate that feeling that is not even identified. Like I don't even know if that feeling was like joy or it was like happiness or it was like envy or jealousy or um, which is, you know, (laughs) I was listening to Brene Brown and apparently these two are different things. And um, yeah, like... I, I don't know. So even now, like, I'm like, all these feelings, all these feelings, it takes me a genuine long beat to figure out what those feelings are because I have to first work through the part where I'm like, oh, yeah, you're not going to just eat everything in the house and you're not going to go on a diet. So let's just sit here and see what this feeling is. And 
that I definitely think is an interesting part in the aftermath of having an eating disorder. And I don't actually consider myself as like being cured. Um, I just know that I have an eating disorder brain and that that's how I organize information. And that that tool of being like, oh, like I must be hungry or must not be hungry. Like that I just have to sit through and that will probably always be there with me um, as the first signal or indicator that I'm having a feeling. Um, Which is to say that there's a lot of feelings that are coming up around my dad's death. And so it's just taking me a while, but I really want to speed through it because I got to get back to work because work too is a lot like hunger and not eating or eating in that like, that's also like a very convenient feelings obliterator that still has a lot of utility and still has a lot of self um, satisfaction and self-esteem and like you know a paycheck like all the things that I need that can be really turned into a thing where I'm just like oh like people think I'm productive so um that's a good thing and when I'm productive people know that I'm like resilient or strong and that I've gotten over this thing as if you truly get over the loss of a parent um or the loss of anyone who was like really instrumental to you um but the thing I'm really noticing too is that I am turning a corner I guess like I'm really realizing how exhausted I've been, not only from the loss, like I don't know loss very well. I've mentioned in the few pods before this that like my dad dying was like the big death for me. Like I didn't get to practice or have like dry runs with like quote unquote, even this taxonomy is gross, but like lesser deaths or like more distant deaths. Like, so this is like really like a colossal blow and it's kind of all at the same time and it's very new and so I didn't really know that I would be so fucking tired and um yeah like I'm also sort of allowing myself to be like yeah you're tired because of loss but you're also tired because you know your dad was sick for years and um that was really hard and there was a lot of back and forth and there was a lot of medical stuff and medical tests and like um different specialists and like different insurance claims and like all this stuff and I was doing it for my mom when she had cancer and then my dad um through his ALS and then later through um you know being hospitalized and going to a nursing home and all of the logistics and paperwork with that and I'm just like hey you get to be tired about that too or even beyond that it's like maybe you are tired because of that um but I have all these like beliefs that you know (laughs) I can process fatigue and tiredness more effectively if I'm like almost like cryogenically frozen in my life or like in a medically induced coma and so in order to get back to work and catch up on everything I miss like I have to isolate that's what if what my brain tells me to do and so it's been really interesting to think of grief as this like contagion and feeling like I have bad hygiene because I have grief and I've been sort of really interrogating this belief that I have where I'm just like 
oh, I have to eat my grief vegetables all by myself before I'm like hygienic and presentable enough to reach out to friends and like get the nourishment and support that I need from that. And like, even too, you know, I've been, I've been told by other people who are very dear to me who have sort of walked this where they're like, you know, it's okay for you to really figure out what you need um, as support from your friends, but you do need to figure that out so you don't sort of almost belabor yourself with people-pleasing and just receiving the care that they want to give you if you don't even have, like, the bandwidth for that. And it's really interesting. It's like I really think that asking for support from friends is, like, this thing where I'm supposed to know... Like, put me on a meal train, get me tuna casserole, <laughs> or, like, um, you know, like, help me do some chore that I don't have bandwidth to do, and or, le- or, like, I don't know. I don't even know what that looks like. And even, like, the figuring out of what that support would be is, like, so exhausting. And then I just realized that, like, I'm allowed to ask for things that don't feel conducive to, like, the speediest recovery possible or the healthiest mental health stuff, which is that, like, I just went, I just, like, gathered two girlfriends who I love, who I realized I was, like, saving up for. I was just, like, my dad has another funeral in, in L.A., and I was just, like, oh, you're not allowed to see them until you've gone through the second funeral. <laughs> And I was like really looking at that and I was like, why? And it's just like, oh, because you don't even know what kind of support to ask them for. And like, because you're not, quote, done with the funeral and done with like the really contagious part of grief that really grosses everyone out until you're done with the second funeral. And like, that's so not true. (laughs) Like, I don't have to do anything. And actually, we just hung out. And I, the, the part that I could ask for is that, like, I was like, I don't want to go out. Can we go to your house? And she's like, of course. And then I was just like, and can we just, like, take turns? Like, I'll let you know what's going on with me um, so you can stop worrying about me a little bit. And then I really, really want to spend time equally worrying about each of you <laughs> in your lives. And that would be really great. Like, spending a considerable amount of time ignoring what's going on with me would be really beneficial and like because that doesn't feel like healthy mental health wise or because it doesn't feel like effective and I'll like burn through all the grief that way like it felt like something I couldn't ask for and I did ask for it and it was really wonderful and it was exactly what I needed and it guess what like because it's what I needed I was allowed to need that and like I just have to have faith that I'm like offered enough grace that like that is restorative even if it doesn't feel effective or if I don't buy it that that's gonna like help me burn through all this grief so that I can like not be alone or something um the other thing too is that like I really do think that something's happening like you know when someone's sick for a really long time and then they die like there's like a finite amount of worry expended around that person and in the same way and I do know that I get really like my I get really like a little ADHD OCD eating disordery about like points or like a system of like allocating 
enough grief calories and like all this stuff or worry points or like you know worry weight watchers points I don't even know but like my brain is just a little bit like that especially when um I'm I'm just sort of struggling and but like that feels true to me actually and not just like some operating system that my brain is throwing up like there is a finite amount of worry now and in the same way there's like a finite amount of grief like I've been doing a lot of um, work around just like intergenerational trauma and, and pain and like dysfunctional parenting and dysfunctional self-parenting and really tragic self-talk and like inner child work and um, what I'm realizing too is that like there is a finite amount of grief now because like I can start mourning the fact that I didn't have a father in a lot of ways like there there is a lot of like you know biology and like um like role for fulfillment in in the sort of like family sense but that was also that was all just by like definition and very very missing in my life functionally like my dad was really absent he he did not want to be known by me or like his children and or let me just speak for myself um like he just was unknowable and like I had a lot of hope for a really long time especially when he got sick and especially when I started really going to therapy and going into recovery, that there would be this moment, this like, you know, conversation or this like late blooming intimacy or this late blooming willingness to have this kind of transparency. And like, it didn't happen. And, you know, it was so bitter towards the end. Like my dad is a really, really marvelous storyteller. And like, there are things that are legacy that I really appreciate and I know is a direct line to my dad and like whatever ancestors and his forebears and all that stuff and I can appreciate that that but like I didn't get to have his stories at the end like he had a tracheostomy and like he couldn't speak and that was just like a real thing and like that time had sort of you know really run out like at a different time than I thought and that was really confusing and like I just still held so much hope that like something could change like whether it was focused on like some kind of recovery to where like we would be able to speak or he would maybe be able to come home or like something and there's such relief in the death of that hope in that sort of like conclusion of this like roving father hunger that I had and so that also makes how much grieving I'm going to do finite as well like I can I know that I have to mourn first that I didn't have a father that I needed that I didn't have this like protector who felt close who spoke to me about what that role was who like you know really modeled for me what what that role can be or like talk to me or taught me anything or um, really built up my self-esteem in that way like I didn't have that 
And I, I, I'm sad about that. And I can be sad about it. Like, I had this whole theory, too, like, where I'm not allowed to mourn for the version of a father I didn't have because that's disingenuous and that's show-offy. Like, I'm just like, why are you crying about a dad, like a TV dad, when you didn't have a TV dad? Like, that's gross. Like, that's awkward. That's cringy. That's, like, so, like, self-obsessed. That's, like, ego. Or, or like, again, like, that's show-offy. <laughs> Or like you think you're so cool or something. Or like you're making it about yourself. You're only allowed to mourn exactly what you lost. And I'm realizing that that's not true because honestly, it's the grief is coming up anyway. So like who am I to sit there and be like, you're not grief. Um, which is something I totally would have done before. And like, so I'm mourning the dad I didn't have. And that will end because I'm never going to have that dad And at that point, I really can lean into like a full celebration of what I was talking before about, which is that like, I am a storyteller because of my dad. I'm a storyteller also because my mom, but she's like, I mean, they're both huge, huge exaggerators and like, you know, confabulators and, but they really know their audience and they really know how to land a story and... I can start really celebrating what I have been given. And it doesn't disqualify, the fact that I've been given anything doesn't disqualify the fact that I feel loss. And like I can sort of hold space and accommodate that contradiction as being true. And the other thing that's really interesting from a storytelling perspective is that I'm realizing that I'm genuinely a little bit confused about this new intimacy that both of my parents' sickness has sort of flung us all into, which is that, like, because I write about my family and because I write personal essays about my relationship with them and, like, who they are, I realize, like, I'm starting to believe some of these, like, apocryphal notions of, like, the versions of flattened family that that I needed in order to tell my story. And I'm beginning to actually interrogate, like, interestingly enough, in their, like, absence, like, what that story actually is. And I'm making peace with the fact that I might have to do the extra homework of, like, mourning the version that I wrote and then reconciling what that version is compared to the one I sort of knew and then also, like, making space for having peace that I'll never truly know And then just really being okay with all of that because ultimately, like, in doing all that work, like, I am changing. Like, I get into such, like, weird places with, like, utility and futility and, like, if you're not gaining this, what's the point? Like, why would I even sort through this box of horrors from my childhood if, like... I'm functioning now, like just all this, like, what is the point? You have a book to write. Why would you spend time doing that? And the thing is, it's like doing that is like alters me and like creates this like depth and like creates this uncertainty that complicates the work. And I really think that like sitting with that complication, I have to believe that it makes the work better. Like trying to write a book right now and it's funny like I've tried it's a little bit like trying to do math on shrooms or something it's just very freaking weird and like I'm a little bit like fuck like why 
why are you even in your feelings? Like, look what it's doing. Look what it's doing to the work. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, but you know, like, I need to sometimes see myself doing math on shrooms. Like, what if someone's doing math on shrooms sometime in a book? Like, I don't fucking know. And like, I need to sort of ride with that. And that's like, I like, that's where I've landed. Like, I have no choice but to believe that there is utility in this. And I have to have faith that like this will not even improve me. Like, we're all getting to a place, but we'll just like, alter me in a way that is like wavy and not particularly understandable and just like exponentially just more free you know like I don't know I, I I'm I'm choosing to believe it because I want it um and so this is long but that's where I'm at um have a gentle day and yeah, like, what if the day isn't isn't just gentle? Like, what if it's, like, really, really okay? And what if it's not just okay? And what if it's profoundly amazing? Um, thanks for listening.